Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 104. Wow, we've got so many of these. I keep for just forgetting how many we're at each week, just going, wow, 104. But yeah, we're on 104, and continuing the horror kind of trend, this week we're going to look at best found footage movies, because this is a genre that often gets crapped on for lack of quality. And yes, there's a lot of crappy found footage movies. But there are some hidden gems. If you sift through the turds, you can find the diamonds. Um, also, we're back this week. Uh, we took last week off because yeah. we were just so swamped. Also, like Josh and I, uh, in our real lives, have jobs. And we kind of have opposite schedules. Josh is a morning person. And I'm normally just a regular day shifter. But last week, there was something happening that required me in the evenings for three straight days. So that would be the podcast not getting out until like Thursday or Friday. And I'm like... At that rate, there's not going to be anything new. So um, yeah, let's just let's just wait a couple of days, and we're back now. And I'm ready to dive into this one. I think there's going to be some surprises that not even Josh is ready for. But uh, Josh, how are you doing tonight, man? Nice to have you back. Yeah, dude, it's been like that. Was like I was thinking uh, when we were getting on and getting everything ready. Like I think I've been on once in the past like three weeks or something like that. Since pitch off, uh, we didn't have it last week, and then maybe then you and Heather did one, and I think you and I did one after pitch off. Uh, yeah, probably. I forget why probably. I missed, but anyway, it is good to be back. Good to see your beautiful face, bro. Um, we've just been chilling, dude. Lots of work, lots of change. Um, good change. Making but moves good change. in my personal life, you know. Good change. Been though. growing my hair out for no reason other than I want to look like a hobo. <laughs> Oh, you still got a long way to go for, before you get hobo stage. <laughs> well, uh, one of our favorite segments each week. Josh, Yeah. what you watching? Because I know you've been watching some goodness. Yes, I am. Oh, geez. I think I have two episodes left of Bly Manor. Ooh, you're definitely further along than me. Yes. I, um... The point you and I, because you and I text back and forth when we watch other watch stuff all the time, um, but the point that you and I made when we you, both of us were kind of on on episode three, I think, is still very valid. Yes, um, which is what it's less. It's as much horror as Crimson Peak is horror, and that's I'm not. That's not a negative. I. It's still just as good as int- and as intriguing as Haunting of Hill House, but it definitely is more of a mystery than a horror film. It just happens to be like, hey, this is almost like a detective thing going on, and creepy stuff happens to be going on as well. Yeah, and maybe that's why I'm having a hard time really getting into it. Like, I think Heather and I are in episode four now, and it's it's beautiful to look at. Mike Flanagan movies are always perfectly shot they're gorgeous to look at um i would just like at least like a scare or two per episode and we're really not even getting that like the acting is phenomenal um i will say more than anything the accent work is actually amazing the dad um from hill house's english accent i was like are you actually british or oliver jackson Cohen? once again basically getting stereotyped as his character from invisible man of the clingy boyfriend uh his is it scottish accent do we think 
Uh, yeah, Scott. His accent is pretty good. Accents in general are difficult for us Americans, but they're they're doing really really good with those accents. Um, it's the acting a- is absolutely incredible in the entire show too. Like, holy cow! Like, I'm especially the kids. The kids oh, yeah. are incredible. They're creepy. Yes, they're real weird. And there's a reason, and I, I I don't know if you caught on yet, but yeah, yeah. I- I'll wait until I see the full season, but I'm a little disappointed. Not, I don't know if disappointed is the right word. It's just expecting something else, maybe. Um, it's yeah, it's fine, it, but it's not yeah. to the quality of Hill House of just like, okay, we see that there's ghosts in the background. Are the ghosts meant to be scary or are they just kind of there type of thing? Yeah, and that is something I think – and this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but like, I think the thing I both appreciate and don't appreciate about Bly is that not all the ghosts are scary. Not, not sorry, not all the ghosts are malicious. Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I it, it's one of those that just like it's gonna sit with me for a little bit of my true feelings on the show. Like I still love Mike Flanagan more than any director working today, but probably, um, except from like maybe David F. Sandberg, but it's just so radically different from Hill house that I'm still kind of processing that. And I don't really yeah, know what to make of it. Yeah, It's different, but it's the same. Yes. I don't it, know. It's, it's hard to put my finger on. Um, anyway, I've also, and if you guys follow me on Instagram, which feel free, it's, going to be up on the screen most of the episode um i've been why i've been starting a new anime one that i have had i should have been watching a while ago but i just things happen um demons demon hunter is really good i'm like eight episodes in and uh isn't that a band yes it's a christian metal band um like under oath is <laughs> christian because they definitely started that way and then <laughs> like under oath? over the years yeah kind of disappeared um but no I, there's it's like demon hunt demon hunter and then there's like a whole big uh, there's another phrase attached to it i'm terrible at japanese and i'm not going to pretend to pronounce that correctly but um basically uh a guy there, you know, it takes place in feudal Japan, like old, old school Japan. We're talking fifties, I think. Um, and demons are a thing. And the, uh, the main character's family gets killed, um, by a demon. He comes home and there's, they're all bloody except for his sister. Who's now, who now tur- has turned into a demon. And then, um, he has to, the whole, basically the show is about him. And she like, for some reason is a dot, ter- figures out how to be docile and not like trying to kill all humans. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all the show is about him trying to figure out how to turn her back to human, back into a human so he can have his sister back. Interesting. That, that sounds like an anime though, to be fair. Um, yeah, (laughs) I, so this weekend, if 2020 wasn't just the worst ever this weekend, we were supposed to get Halloween kills. So, uh, Thanks, virus. Um, but instead, to make up for it, Heather and I rewatched Halloween 2018 in our local theater just because it was a five-buck movie, and we're like, ah, 
we need to see a Halloween movie this year. And also, Helen and I realized that this is now three years in a row that we've seen a Halloween movie at that theater. Last year, we saw yeah. Halloween 78, which was awesome to see the original on the big screen. And then before that, we saw the actual 2018, and now we see 2018 again. And next year, we'll see Kills, and the year after that, God forbid, we'll see Halloween Ends. Um, it's just nice to see horror movies in the theater. Um, yeah, yeah, even if it's a even if it's a movie you've seen before, just the ah of like there's the creepy music and the title card of just hearing the classic Halloween movie and the pumpkin rising again. Some people be like, "Oh, it's so scary." To me, I'm just like that. That's my comfort food right there. Of just uh like that's one of my favorite moments in horror. Of just say something, Michael. Do 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 do, and you're like, ah, the franchise just got straight up a CPR, and it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it sucks that we're not getting kills anytime soon, but I still kind of think that we might get some form of a Halloween kills teaser on the day of Halloween, just as a Halloween treat. Um, I mean, why not? What else? You, know, are they like do? It's, you gotta do something for us guys. I mean, they don't have to, but you know, it'd be nice. It's a nice gesture. They've sent out a tease for Hollow, uh, for Texas Chainsaw, the reboot, but we'll talk about that next week, I think, as we get more information There's on There's a that. reboot coming? I didn't know that either. Um, okay. Well, another reboot. Nothing synony- more <laughs> yeah. synonymous with reboots than Texas Chainsaw. Um, let's get into the news, Josh, because I don't know about you, but boy, have I not had a rant in a while, but I'm about to. So, yeah. um, There's some rumors that we might talk about but there is a confirmed thing that we can talk about here and that is that dr stephen strange himself benedict cumberbatch will be in spider-man 3 which doesn't have a name yet as a mentor figure filling in the void now left by a dead tony stark (sighs) literally my face right now too dude like i hate this so so much of guys this is his third solo movie and now his sixth appearance overall in the mcu don't you think it's time that maybe just maybe he doesn't need a mentor figure anymore also um i can't remember the dates but didn't spider-man homecoming come out before doctor strange ergo he's been a superhero longer than doctor strange has you'd be like well doctor strange is older and more emotionally mature yes but they only had like a scene together how does this make any sense but again it's the whole why does spider-man need a mentor figure in his third freaking movie um and we'll we'll talk about the rumors in a little bit here uh but josh you see, Doctor Strange is going to be in Spider-Man 3. Yay or nay? Um, yay, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I, It's weird, but it's, it's weird for two reasons to me. It's weird that Spider-Man still needs a mentor. And it's weird that it's Doctor Strange. The only reason I can see is if, in fact... The rumors are true, and it's a Spider-Verse confirmed. Um, that's all I can think of. That I, I don't know, dude. 
which we weren't going to talk about this because it's from a BS source called Fandom Wire, run by one of my least favorite people in this business, Andy Signore, who is a scumbag um, for sure. Guys, don't don't look him up. He's he's just a scum. Um, but he was trying to spread this rumor that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are returning for Spider-Man 3, which um, that might be true. It is not confirmed, and they were trying to spread that that this has been 100% confirmed and signed on the dotted line. It might happen. And here's why I think it's worth talking about now compared to when that rumor first started. I don't believe that rumor, but Sony made it interesting. So Sony rep actually came out and said, those casting rumors are not confirmed at this time. And I'm going... What do you mean at this time? Hmm. Um, or they may not have said at this time. They said um, those casting rumors are unconfirmed. They didn't deny the casting rumors. They said they're unconfirmed. Like they might be happening, but not yet. Or they're not ready to say it yet. Which I'm just going, just why? Why We already know that Jamie Foxx's Electro is coming back. I hate that. I know that we're getting the green and yellow this time around. And I want to be excited because I've been wanting a green and yellow Electro. But this just seems like too much too fast of we need some form of a mentor figure for Spider-Man. Why? It's his third movie. Shouldn't he be his own hero by now? Wasn't that the whole point of Far From Home is he gets out of the Iron Man shadow and is Spider-Man now? Why does he have to be in someone else's shadow? And also... I said it last time we were on air with the Electro thing of if this is leading to a Spider-Verse meets the Sinister Six, I immediately hate that idea because to me that means our Spider-Man is not strong enough to take down a Sinister Six. He needs two other Spider-Man, which that's not Spider-Man in any incarnation. Spider-Man should be able to take down the Sinister Six by himself using his brain maybe that's why they want to use some other spider-mans because they haven't really shown peter using his brain a whole lot i rewatched the civil war scene recently where we first are introduced to him and i still think to this day that is the single best spider-man scene ever when it's him and tony sitting on the bed just the little details of peter being a dumpster diver and picking up supplies because he can't afford them or just be like math test nailed it uh i didn't play football before so i shouldn't now because I'm different. Just the understanding of Spider-Man then. And he even says, I built this webbing. The Russos, I think, understand Spider-Man a lot better than John Watts does. And maybe it's a John Watts thing. Maybe it's a Sony interference thing. I still think Tom Holland's performance is the best of all the Spider-Mans. But I'm getting real sick and tired of them just going... We'll eventually get to Spider-Man. Eventually, you're not going to have Spider-Man at the MCU if Sony gets desperate enough. And you're going to miss out on having a true Spider-Man. Which is, it just bothers me even more because the MCU, by and large, I know you've had your issues over the years, but by and large, the MCU has accurate characters. Steve is pretty accurate to his comics. Iron Man, as much as I hate him, is accurate to his comics. People are accurately portrayed how they're supposed to be. Spider-Man, it's like they don't want to fully pull the trigger for fear that they're not going to be able to use the true Spider-Man for some reason. Like, why can't Spider-Man make his own suit? Um, Why does he have to keep having a mentor figure? Why are they portraying him as like an Iron Man 
Jr. Um, why are all of his villains connected to Tony Stark instead of, you know, him personally? Which, I mean, that is one of my gripes for the Tobey Maguire ones is that everyone just kind of coincidentally knows Peter um, and it ends up being a villain. It just... I love Homecoming. That's still my favorite Spider-Man movie ever, even more so than Into the Spider-Verse. I know that's in the minority, but that's okay. It it seems like it's been slowly going downhill after that because I think they're like, oh, crap, we need an Iron Man-level popularity character. You know who's more popular than Iron Man before you introduce him in the MCU? Spider-Man. Spider-Man's always been the most popular Marvel character. Maybe the reason he's so popular is he has a recipe for success, and you don't tamper with your classic cookie recipe. You leave it as is. You don't try and change the recipe. What works, works. I don't get why they keep changing stuff up, why they keep saying, well, he's got to have a mentor figure. Why? At some point, he's going to have to be his own man, whether they ever want to acknowledge Uncle Ben, and Uncle Ben being the reason why he is the way he is, it, there's just a lot of issues that I'm just going, why? Like, Far From Home doubled down on a lot of issues in Homecoming. It feels like they're tripling down on those issues. And I just, I don't understand the thought process because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been so good and accurate to its characters other than Spider-Man, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and he, I agree though, because it's, it has been like he's been Iron Man light um, as, mud, as many issues as I have with Civil War, it's uh, Spider-Man's one of the best things about it. And that's probably the best outing he's had, in my opinion. Um, Quick side tangent. Also, again, the Russos, the reason I got so excited for Homecoming was because the Russos, when they're introducing him in Civil War, when he's fighting uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon, guess what he's doing? He's laughing and making jokes and talking to his enemies. Where the heck has that been for the other two standalone movies? That is a key defining characteristic. As much as Tobey Maguire is not a funny dude, his line delivery is terrible when he's trying to be funny in the Spider-Man movies, he's at least trying. And Andrew Garfield was kind of funny when he was Spider-Man. He's more arrogant and kind of cocky as Spider-Man more than anything else. But why do I get the sense that when Spider-Man is Spider-Man, He's not having fun and doesn't want to be there. Like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, yes, he carries a big weight of responsibility on his shoulders. But he's still positive and optimistic. He seems to still be having fun, even when he's a scared teenager. And I I want the fun back in Spider-Man and not be babysat all the time and go, I don't know what to do here. You're Spider-Man. Make a decision. Yeah, it's... It seems like he's intentionally indecisive. He's intentionally nervous all the time. Oh, I don't know. I'm not confident in my abilities. Bro, you've like, look at all you've accomplished to this point. Like, he is. Why wouldn't you be confident in your abilities? Like, in all of his movies, he is reactionary, not proactive. Like, he is responsive to the story. He's not the one pushing the story forward. Things happen around him, but he's not pushing the story forward. yeah, and I think as much as as much as gripes, and I mean he's my personal favorite, but that's fine. I understand why other people wouldn't like him, but with Andrew Garfield, at least when in two, despite it being a terrible movie, when he discovers that he can't use his normal web shooters against Electro because of what happens when electricity travel travels out them, we get that wonderful. It's almost like a ten minute long scene mm-hmm. of him trying to figure out 
technologically how he's going going to approach this problem when it comes up again. I agree. I and hate that so movie too. Like, we have had nothing like that. I love when that it comes scene to, to Tom. That's like the mm-hmm. best scene in Amazing Spider-Man Two is him it, actually it, thinking. It genuinely is. But that's what bothers me is like they said it in Homecoming in Civil War. Yeah, I made this webbing and a quick line of passing. Ever since then, Tony has given him everything and even then from the grave from beyond the grave here have these special glasses you're a high school student there's no way this could go bad these glasses can destroy the world basically if they're in the wrong hands good luck hormonal high schooler um like i just i don't get it i want to be excited for spider-man 3 and i don't hate far from home but i need to be i hate to say it but i kind of need to be one back for, Spy- for the next Spider-Man. And so far, the route that we're not on doesn't really get me excited. Now, some people are like, well, what if you see all three of the Spider-Mans together swinging together through I Times Square? And I'm going, well, two out of the three of these Spider-Mans have been established in who their identity is and would get... I'm just like, maybe if this movie was used to set up a Spider-Verse, then I would be interested. But this seems like we're going straight into Spider-Verse with no setup which is again maybe this is tied into wandavision somehow but it feels like this is one of the first times in the mcu and maybe we're just blowing this out of proportion but the mcu is a setup machine there's very few things that get paid off that haven't been set up previously and there's been no setup to this potential spider-verse other than oh hey an animated movie did really really well let's do that even though we haven't set anything up and they had that opportunity too in far from home they had that opportunity to to just to drop a little nugget in there of potentially setting up a a, a other dimension kind of thing or if mysterio actually was it. from another dimension yeah and or oh dude this is what i would have done is yes mysterio is a liar and a showman and whatever else but he is in fact from another dimension toby mcguire's dimension and, I mean, that, yeah. and that's how we bring in J.K. Simmons as like the fabric of reality has been destroyed by the snap and whatever else. It, again, that's just us spitballing, but we don't know the big picture here. I think there's some crucial details if that there are... there is one. Yeah. Um, well, because I'm choosing to be optimistic, they're filming Spider-Man like starting this week or next week, or they may have already started, which to me means, oh, Tom Holland's available. That means Uncharted's done filming. Huzzah! It's done! <laughs> Speaking of optimism, can we move on to our next story? Yes, please. Yes. Uh, Josh, go for it. So, uh, when how long ago was was DC um, July fan, fandom? July, I think. It was July, so a couple months. Yeah, yeah, just a few months ago, DC announced that a live action Static Shock movie is in the works. And now no, none other than Michael B. Jordan has signed on to pro- help produce the film. Um, Nathan, I don't know about you, but this not only gets me excited, I think I have more faith in this project. Now, not that I didn't have faith in it, but like having a name attached to it like Michael B. Jordan is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I've already big s- deal. I've already seen the awful racist people out there because michael jordan's had some statement about like i want to help create superheroes for the black community and make diverse superheroes and people are just like way to make 
Static Shock uh, political figure, I'm just like, he, um, always, guys, he, he always has been. Like, Static Shock for a kid's cartoon addressed some pretty heavy issues of um, racism and police brutality and um, segregation. Static Shock always hit pretty hard for a superhero show, especially one targeted more towards children. And again, it's a black superhero. What, what's wrong with a, having more black superheroes? I want more black superheroes, more diverse superheroes, because um, we were walking around Disney Springs and we passed the Marvel store, and this little kid just gets super excited to see Miles Morales. Seeing kids get excited about different superheroes gets me excited because it's just like, cool, that's your entryway into this fun world that we live in. If you get into comic books because you like Miles Morales more than Peter Parker, that's awesome. I don't care how you get to your comic book destination, so long as you're happy to be there, we welcome some of yeah. us welcome you with open arms and that's how it should be i want more diverse characters and i think static shock we've been clamoring that forever and i'm glad we're finally getting it especially with someone like michael b jordan who is so proactive i didn't really know that he was a behind the scenes person really i just knew he was an acting god at this point because he picks some great projects and he's awesome in a lot of projects but it's cool to see him kind of stepping into a behind the scenes role more and being uh proactive in trying to not just put his money he's putting his money where his mouth is of i want more diverse superheroes and he's actually making ways to make that happen and that's awesome uh, but at the same time i can't lie i'm just excited just because the static shock more than anything else just oh dude i don't like put all politics aside static shock's awesome and i was trying to explain dude, to people he's why so he's cool. so cool he's like it's in back real quick because even the origins of Static Shock as a comic book and why he was created, it's it's still like out of the fact that um, you had a group of incredible artists who wanted to create art for the black community and it wasn't allowed. They weren't there was no story pitches that were being accepted in DC or Marvel. And they were like, all right, cool. Well, then we're going to start our own company. Mm hmm. And they did it alongside Image, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. And so the I, if for anybody that's like, oh, we're to make this a a, a a black issue. I'm like, bro, it's it's been like this since the beginning. Where have you been? It's like those people that like think they're comic book fans and be like, uh, why are you bringing politics in the X Men? I'm going, the X Men, bro. Do you, you realize not the X Men? Comics. What are you doing? Like oh the X Men have always been a political figure. Static Shock yeah. has always oh. been a political figure. Spoiler alert, a lot of the stories that you've read have some form of political undertones. It's, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's people have their own biases when they're writing stories. There's no way that when you're reading something, some part of the author isn't coming out in some form or fashion. Um, look at Watchmen, which is a fantastic series and a great comic book. There are definitely Alan Moore ideologies in that. Um, you don't necessarily have to agree with that. But it exposes your brain to different ideas of thinking. And I like to th hear other people's perspectives. Another reason why I'm so excited for Hispanic superheroes or black superheroes is the storytelling is different. Cultural differences are cool. I love that Miles doesn't feel like Spider-Man because of just his upbringing is different than Peter's with his cop dad and his uncle Aaron his story is so radically different and the culture that he's 
known for and has lived with his entire life is so different and I love that because it's something that me as a boring white dude doesn't really know about but I would like to learn because I like learning about different things and if you could tell stories in new and inventive ways that just means we get more stories and the stories we're going to have are never going to run out if we keep inviting more people to the table to tell these stories so again I'm more excited more than anything else because Static Shock is cool. And also, I don't care what anybody says, Static Shock has one of the coolest costume designs ever. It is the best use of blue and yellow ever, and I'm saying that as a Nightwing fan. Yes. Also, I'm still well, mad agree. at you for sending I me those pictures, Josh, of to, 90s Nightwing. To your point, um, and maybe this is because I have spent so much time in, you know, in kitchens and at restaurants and stuff like that, but like, um, watching Miles, especially in, into the Spider Verse, has felt that world feels so alive. And I mean, that's a credit to the the producers and the creators and the director of that film. But just the way everyone's interacting in that film feels so. It feels like that's a city I've seen. I've been there. I understand that this isn't just like a a one race thing. And that's what I think static dealt so especially in the show dealt so heavily with and it makes me more and more excited because if there's ever a time for a mainstream like mainline big time movie for a black superhero it's now and as much as i love falcon i don't think that's who we got to start with but i think static is that this is huge dude this is going to be so much fun he's his costume is awesome if you if they end up doing their little multiverse thing, we can bring in a and we can bring in Michael B. Jordan as adult Static Shock, um, <laughs> which is ah, which is you needed, but now you know you need. Dude, what if his dad is played by Sterling K. Brown? Oh gosh, I'm so ready for this. Uh, okay, so real quick, real quick, I know this is tough because um, it's off the cuff. Who you got is playing Static Shock? Uh, Lucas from Stranger Things. Really? Either him or Miles, I think would be good. I think... Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I can see some... Jeez, I've got to... And I think this is an opportunity, and this is why I think this is such a big deal to me, I guess, is having superheroes like Miles, like Static, brings in the young black actor, these young young kids... Mm -hmm. That we that the market doesn't have a lot of yeah and like just even just saying that like who do you have and like he's the you know stranger stranger things kids is really the only one or and at least uh, for Mike me, from off the it. Cuff, I can't think of another kid Mike from I it. don't know who else the young the, the young kid from it Mike maybe maybe but you're just saying like young black kid actors I can't think of yeah too like many. they don't. There's not a lot of them. Okay. It, Speaking of young black actors, uh, he's definitely still too young for this. But I want the kid to play Julian, the little black kid in Halloween, to be in more stuff. I'm cl- I'm out here <laughs> clipping my nasty toenails. <laughs> like, <laughs> Michael kills the babysitter. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. Give him everything. I leaned over to Heather when we saw in theaters. It's just like, I want it to come to Halloween ends, and Julian is the one that kills Michael Myers. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Michael. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I'm just anything Static Shock. Let's go. Um, I'm intrigued to see if they go full Static and keep his 
best friend slash, slash sidekick out for now. Uh, maybe, no, I would bring him in. I'd bring him in. Uh, see, the only reason I wouldn't bring him in is if they brought in his current comic book best friend, Blue Beetle, played by Jaime. <gasps> so, so, as soon as I saw the Michael B. Jordan thing on Twitter, uh, I was walking around with Heather and I was just like, cool, it just means we're moving further along on this project. So when are we getting our Blue Beetle movie that Josh wants so badly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because for those that don't know, Blue Beetle, there's been multiple Blue Beetles, but the current one is a young Hispanic boy named Jaime Reyes, who I like Jaime more than I like Ted Cord. Um, yep. Ted Cord is just, he's fine, but he's a very generic, bland, cardboard cutout of a character from his era. Um, whereas Jaime, I tried reading some of the Blue Beetle Rebirth um, it wasn't the character, the artwork, and I think overall comic layout really threw me off. It wasn't yeah. aesthetically pleasing to me, um, so I kind of dropped it. But I love the character of Jaime, and God, I'm with you, man. After we get Static Shock, can we please get Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes? Because it's, again, it's that diversity of storytelling of what what a Hispanic superhero's upbringing be like compared to a white guys uh white dude superhero or an african-american superhero like miles is different than peter how would jaime be different than literally everybody and some people have talked about like well um would you be okay with a black robin to which i'm like okay if it's dick grayson so long as that dude is the best looking man in the room i'm fine with whatever color he is yes dick he doesn't have to be a white guy but boy does that man have to be sexy Yes, and I think you and I even said um, a part of me believes that D- Dick Grayson should, if you're going to assign race, I don't think it's white. I think it's Asian. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do, if I we're gonna go down that, that road, so long as he's a sexy man, I don't care what race Dick Grayson <laughs> is. But yeah, no, I, I, I secret, and I know I've, I say this all the time, but I, I really, I hope if this, this is the start of something awesome when it comes to bringing in new young heroes. Uh, I think if there's ever a time to have a pseudo young justice in live action, it's now. Yes, please. Young justice slash teen Titans. We start with our first teen Titans um, movie with just everybody. And then yeah. with like Robin Starfire and everybody else. And then the sequel is a Judas contract movie with him becoming Nightwing. <sighs> just, just, just my dream. It'll never happen, but I, I could dream, do, Harold. I, I want, um, I, I want Beast Boy and uh, Cyborg. I want their friendship, like their le- legitimate friendship on screen. I need it. I want if Cyborg he, to say not, booyah. That's fine. Go the new Teen Titans route. Do um, Beast Boy and Jaime are best friends. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I, I want cyborg to say booyah and not look like he hates himself for being there and having to say it um yes like justice league um which i don't blame ray fisher from everything we've heard well we've had enough good dc news for now now let's get into the sad the very very (laughs) sad um the batman was scheduled to come out october 2021 which already is painstakingly far away but now it's been pushed to March 2022, which is only five months further than what it was. But to me, this just feels like an eternity because we can no longer say Batman is coming out next year. And it sucks. 
Thanks, yes. 2021. Well, makes counting down my most anticipated movies of next year a whole lot easier. Um, we're not going to talk about them here because, by and large, we don't want to talk about set photos because that's stuff that the studio themselves has not released. No official stuff is out there. That's some all more inappropriate paparazzi stuff that I don't really want to talk about. But seeing that, some of that stuff, we're not going to talk about what what we've seen, but oh, it just pains me that this movie is getting delayed because the more and more I see of it, the more this movie is going to be something special. And while whether Matt Reeves will openly admit it or not, this is a long Halloween movie, and that makes me excited because if this is long Halloween, then maybe, just maybe, the next one will be Dark Victory, including some uh, Grayson, maybe? Maybe no. a little bit of Grayson? No, that's not happening. Sorry. At the latest, he'll be in the next movie. At the latest. Yeah. I I think if anything, we get a young, we get, we'll get a young Grayson. I'm fine with that. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, Rid, Riddler, um, is a serial, 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 sharp, 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 Um, <laughs> Riddler is a serial killer. I'm going with, uh, Penguin is going to get legitimately scarred. Although that makeup is perfect. So I don't know how, how much worse you can make that. Um, Joker's not in this story at all. These, these are things I think are, are truths. And I don't think are necessarily bad things either. Um, Court of Owls. 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 What? I just need like a I need a button to press. (laughs) Just like like an NBA (laughs) air horn that just screams Court of Owls. Yeah, I think in honestly, I never thought that I'd say this out loud, but Court of Owls is like the one to start with man hey if if christopher nolan can like lead with the league of shadows and end with first, league of shadows like, yeah like if, dude court of owls makes sense bro i mean bruce doesn't even have to leave the city <laughs> true also if you want to see me cry tears of joy in a batman movie one to introduce nightwing slash dick grayson and do a really good story arc but also if you end a batman movie which is an end credits you can just do it in black Bruce Wayne, your angel of death awaits. Just. Phantasm is coming back to the comics. She's going to be canon soon. Matt Reeves, okay. make it happen. Um, okay, buddy. It'll never happen. I can dream, Harold. Okay. <laughs> but in case Batman getting pushed isn't sad enough, the entire DC slate has been shifted down a couple of months. So now Shazam is coming out 2023. Um, Flash has moved quite a few months. Oddly enough, Black Adam has been taken off the release schedule entirely. Um, I don't think the movie's canceled. I think they're just, they don't know where to put it for the time being because they keep casting more people. They casted somebody else. Um, a young woman, uh, forget her name and what role she's going to be in. I think she's playing Isis. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, but really for right now, all I care about Black Adam casting-wise is who's playing Dr. Fate? Give me that information! Where is she? Where is he? Where is the fate? Um, That's all I really care. I don't think this is canceled at all. They've invested so much time into this. The Rock is The Rock. I think it's more of a matter of since everything's getting pushed down into 2022, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, Um, I think they're just going, well, we got to put it somewhere. We'll let the next guy figure that out. Yeah, it's, I mean, 
things are what they are right now. There's not much we can do about. Uh, I get. I understand why. Um, the world, for the most part, is kind of starting to get back to some sort of normal-ish. Hmm. Uh, theaters are obviously closing, and with all that kind of stuff going on, unless you're AMC and have a Universal Studios backing. Um, well, they've said that they're going to run out of money by the end of the year if they don't open. Mm-hmm. How? Never mind. You know what? I'm not going to ask. Don't <laughs> care. Don't care. You guys tried to pull a fast one on the movie industry, and uh, anyway, um, I'm, I'm a Cinemark person. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've never been a loyalist to any theater, but I've always hated AMC. <laughs> <laughs> so that needs to be a shirt. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I just hope that this benefits everyone that they're able to use this time to make something better. But I think part of the reason why it got moved 2022 is just because there's going to be so many movies coming out in 2021 that some of the big movies that were coming out next year have been slotted to 2022. That way they can have less competition up against them. Case in point, the next Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic World Dominion, which is now scheduled for June 10th, 2022. So a long way off, considering they're still actively filming this thing right now. Uh, I don't think it was to finish up any special effects or anything. I think this is purely and simply, hey, we know 2021 is very, very crowded. We just want to place our flag firmly in the summer movie season of 2022 when it's more likely that we can make our billion dollars. Um, However... What was interesting is Chris Pratt may have let on more than he was supposed to. So uh, we know the original cast of Jurassic Park is coming back and all those actors and the Jurassic World actors shared the uh, teaser poster for Jurassic World. Looks pretty cool. Nice to bring back the, um, the, oh, it's not Ember, is it? Um, it's Ember, yeah. Yeah, Ember that um, the mosquito is in, but this time it's the classic dinosaur. Except, I think Chris Pratt gave away more than he was supposed to. He said something to the effect of, um, like, 30 years in the making and it all leads to this or all before it all ends or something like that. I don't believe this will be the last Jurassic World, but Josh, do you think there's a chance that this could be the last one? Like, bring, like, the end game of Jurassic Park, so to speak? I, yeah, I can see it. I, I mean, the, the first one was pretty good, by and large, um, and Fallen Kingdom oh. did not do well at all. Um, you should have let the dinosaurs die! Have, yeah, it didn't It didn't make I, I, did it make its budget back. I don't know. Oh, uh, I'm sure it did. Jurassic Park movies make a buttload of money every time. Fair. But it was notoriously panned by fans and critics alike. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know. I I, I believe it. Because uh, OG tra- Jurassic Park stopped at like three, didn't it? Three yes, or it four? Did. Yes, it did. Three. So, so uh, I quick mean, question. it wouldn't be that surprising, but three movies would mean, you know, you've had a cohesive story, but, you know, whatever. Um, Quick question. I, neither of us were particularly big Fallen Kingdom fans. What can get you back into the hype train for the next Jurassic World? What would you want the story to be? (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of something that hasn't been done yet because if that's the thing about this is that I feel like there's so much of this story that's been done over and over again. The one thing that I can think of off the top of my head that would be kind of cool and it's not even really a Jurassic World movie um but it'd be fun to have Owen and Blue uh traveling the world shutting down like labs that are making dinosaurs i guess that'd be cool i don't know like it'd be i don't know how you would do that as like a jurassic world movie but it'd be that's like that's a fun thing to do it's a like, dino hey, hunter movie huh it's a dino hunter movie i mean yeah but at the same time like we have monster hunting hunter coming out so <laughs> don't don't even give me that face okay because Apparently, we can't just have people living in a world where monster hunting monsters is a thing. We have to have teleportation to another dimension. It's fine. Whatever. I, I'd rather um, watch Nicolas Cage's Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, Lord have mercy. We're not even going to... Dude, I need to see that as soon as it comes out because that looks awesome. I, yeah, uh, guys, for those the- that don't know, Nicolas Cage has a movie coming out called Jiu-Jitsu, which basically is Mortal Kombat meets the Predator with Nicolas Cage's... Ad- it's called jujitsu, yet he's fighting with a sword and not really doing jujitsu. But it's <laughs> Nicolas Cage fighting an alien, and I need it in my soul. It just. He, like, quote unquote, does a triple backflip at the end of the trailer. <laughs> and it's super cool. But at the same time, I'm like, hi. Tony Jaws in it. Nicolas Cage. And even I'm like, all right, dude. But Tony Jaws <laughs> okay. in it. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Jaws in Monster Hunter too. So, uh okay, that that's your reason, dude. You've always said why it wasn't Tony Jaw a bigger thing cuz he has a terrible agent. Yes, he does. You're not But see, that's not true because his first like movie in America, his like first real feature film in America was the Triple X movie that came out. And that was a lot of fun and he was good in it. Don't give me that look. I see you give me that giving me that look. And we all know, if you don't know me, you like bro, I love the Triple X movies with a weird passion. I think they're that's super fine. fun. That's fine. The critics do not like the Triple X. Oh, I, that's fine. When have I ever cared about what the critics say? That's true. Also, Triple X as much as we'd like to think it, they weren't necessarily always the biggest of box office movies. They're like modest successes primarily because their budgets weren't very high. Uh, for me with Jurassic World, there is something like it sounds so trivial, but they've already said it's going to happen due to some set photos. Three words. Dinosaurs in snow. That's happening. I'm just like, it's something different. That's cool. Like there's a great Friday the 13th fan film that just came out of Jason killing somebody in the snow called Never Hike in the Snow. And I was like, oh, how have they never done a Friday the 13th? In wintertime or in the snow. That sounds awesome. I would love to see dinosaurs in the snow. God, could you... How cool would it be if, um, like, the Indominus had that scene where she comes out from the trees in camouflage. Imagine there's a big T-Rex or something that's camouflaged in the snow. It just slowly rises up, eats a lawyer or two, and then just disappears. It's doesn't need to be high art. I just want it to be better than Fallen Kingdom. That's all I ask. I'm a simple man. Hey, Nathan, question for you. Question for you. Maybe answer. How many lizards do you know live in the snow? All of, well, Okay. My answer to that is most normal, like genetically normal lizards could. These are genetically modified dinosaurs that are made in a lab. I'm sure they could live in special conditions. 
Not in the snow, bro. That's not a thing. That's what? not a thing. How do you know? You never met a dinosaur. No, I mean, like... <laughs> I just, like, that's also, like, hey, man, dinosaurs never been found in the Arctic. Well, they're gen- genetically modified. Let's put them in the, in the snow. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing with Jurassic World is they always just, like, people want the next stage of evolution of dinosaurs. Maybe at some point they evolved to be... Cold temperature dinosaurs. A penguin dinosaur. Yes. The only natural predator. A, it gives, if it gives me a saber-toothed tiger, I'll be fine. Oh, dude, that'd be awesome. Exactly. Like, okay, that's fine. If you want to explore it that way, sure. But whatever. I'm not, a, I'm not happy. <laughs> Let's make Josh happy again. Yay! Why, why are you happy now, Josh? Because Green Lantern series is coming to HBO Max. Yay! And again, again, people can't just be happy we're getting Green Lantern. People are going, well, where's where's Hal Jordan? Where's Jon Stewart? Because the list of people that are confirmed for this show are lanterns like Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, um, Guy Gardner, and Kilowog. And everyone's going, well, where's Hal Jordan? Where's Jon Stewart? Probably being saved for an actual movie, guys, or at the latest, like a season two or a season three. Um, but also, this is going to be an HBO Max original series. HBO Max likes to tell diverse stories. Look at Lovecraft Country, which is a very off the beaten path, um, not only story, but cast too, and the stories that they address. You've got Simon Baz, an African American. Uh, no, uh, he's Muslim, I believe. I'm not sure his heritage, but he's not your stereotypical, just traditional white guy. Jessica Cruz, not your stereotypical white guy. Uh, I am, not because of their heritage, I am more surprised that they're doing Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz just because of how recent they are. They're very new lanterns to continuity. Alan Scott, cool. Um, I'll be curious what they do with his costume, because for those that don't know... There's your typical Green Lantern costume that we all know and love, like the green and the black. Alan Scott's is not that. He's red with purple pants and a green cape because he was like that Justice Society era of like the old school people with like Jay Garrick, who still has an awesome suit that's aged totally perfectly, um, but I still love. (laughs) Um, Or Guy Gardner is... Josh's God. favorite Green Lantern, by no. far. No. Um, or Not Josh's, my favorite. Josh's actual favorite Green Lantern, Kilowog, who's much better. Stop! Stop misrepresenting me! <laughs> says the dude that always says Darkest Night. I mean, okay, yeah, that's fair. I love Green Lantern, and yet I still say my favorite book wrong anyway that's not the point <laughs> yes lord of the cows the two towers <laughs> it's the corn of cows the corn of cows lord of the spoons oh lord of mercy but no like i i everyone that's complaining is just they don't re- i mean hal is fine john stewart's awesome hal I'm is overrated not being talked about but whatever kyle's um, underrated hal's overrated john stewart's just right yes um yeah and but that being said i think the cast of, of lanterns that they are talking about um they need to be fleshed out 
in a way that is can only really be done in a live action forum. I think you and I had this conversation when this when this was announced through text. Um, Guy has notoriously been one of the most annoying lanterns up to now, up to now. When really, depending on who's who's writing him, but I think you know this a live action HBO series. He could be a, the fun lantern that he's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Guy Gardner is to the Green Lanterns as Damian Wayne is to the Robins of most of the time they're annoying depending on who's writing but over time they kind of grow on you but they're still not going to be your favorite what I'm excited about for this series is one Green Lanterns I really enjoy the Green Lanterns I think there's so much creative storytelling possibilities you can tell with them Um, I like the fact this is a show more than a movie because a movie you always have to have like the big stakes of like the world is ending parallax is here and he's a fart cloud this time for some reason but with a hbo max series maybe you could do more domestic stuff like other core the green lantern Corps, are intergalactic police officers so maybe it's like intergalactic policing or maybe just maybe this is kind of the avenue that i hope they go turf wars with the other lantern Corps. so like Maybe they're butting heads with the Yellow Lantern Corps or the Red Lantern Corps. If you show up with St. Walker and the Blue Lantern Corps, I will flip because proud Blue Lantern Corps right here. Hope burns bright with the Blue Lantern Corps, man. Represent. I am telling you, if this show gives me atrocities, I will will literally die happy. Um, Do you want the cat? Absolutely. Why would you not want the cat? Are you kidding me? So who, those who don't know, Atrocitus is one of the like high-ranking uh, Red Red Lanterns, and he's absolutely terrifying. And his best friend, who's also a Red Lantern, is a cat. <laughs> yep. Oh man, it's the best. I'm just it, there's. I agree. I think there's there's so many ways you can go with a Green Lantern show, and I think if you do Hal, if you do John, you're automatically locked into Earth-based stories. Mm-hmm. Whereas you do some of these other ones, go with some Lanterns that aren't as well-known, you can kind of explore the space explore space a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I agree. I just, I don't know, there's a lot of interesting potential there. Um Yes. And I don't think this is a limited series. I think this will be like a Lovecraft Country or a Perry Mason where it's like 8 to 10 episodes and then we'll kind of see if it resonates, which yeah, I think they're not doing Hal and John because I think they're saving them for a movie. But also, the last time they tried Hal, it didn't work out too well, even though it wasn't yeah. Ryan Reynolds' fault. Um, so I think they're going to try some other characters, some more diverse characters like we talked about with... Um, with Static Shock, they're, I think they very intentionally chose the Green Lanterns that they did. And maybe they will introduce a Kyle at some point and then maybe stick his girlfriend in a fridge or something. Um, Bro, if anybody's going to do it, HBO Max would. I See, I don't even think HBO Max would touch that just because of how infamous that stunt was in the comics. And it wasn't well-received they're like you could do dark stuff like killing gwen stacy but that was like dark for the sake of just shock value and selling comics and it wasn't particularly well-received and still to this day it's not very well regarded so i don't know if they would do it um the the thing when it comes though with to the kyle situation though 
is it was I agree that at the time it was done for shock value, but then they eventually used that as the catalyst for him to become the first White Lantern, which is fine, and I love that. I love that idea. I mean, how cool would that to be? I, I think it would be really cool to see that journey happen in the background of the show. It's not – he's not the main focus. It's not um, – no, this isn't Kyle's story. It's all the it's a Lantern Corps story, and it just happens to be going on at the same time as all this other stuff. That's fair. Now for our last news topic, again, yeah. I I need some positivity in my life. In twenty twenty, yes, twenty twenty finally gave us some good news. So, Josh, you're not a physical media person, but I am. But we need to talk about this because I've waited for this day for so <laughs> so long, and it is finally here. Lord of the Rings, one of, if not the greatest trilogy of all time, this Christmas is coming to 4K and Ultra, 4K Ultra HD. And you could immediately tell those people that just see the headlines for articles and don't actually read them, because when this was posted, everyone was just like, I have to buy another Lord of the Rings. If this isn't the extended edition, I'm not buying it. And I'm just going, you can clearly see that it says theatrical and extended editions you morons because i'm in your camp if it's if it's just the theatrical version i ain't buying actually i probably still would because it's 4k lord of the rings but you'll be getting the theatrical and the extended cut of lord of the rings originally shot in 4k will now be shown how it was meant to be seen in crisp 4k ultra hd and my heart is happy my question is I would think so, but will they still have all these special features, and will those be upscaled to HD like the Blu-ray was? Will those be upscaled as well, or just the movie itself? Either way, I'm perfectly content, because 4K Lord of the Rings, hey! Yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm in the camp of, like, if it's not the extended version, it ain't worth it. I appreciate that they're giving us both, but, um... I, and this is probably the most nerdiest sentence I think I've ever said, which is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. I once watched Fellowship of the Ring theatrical and then watched the extended version right after of ju- of Fellowship. And the extended versions are just way better. I mean, they're longer, but they're way better. Um, so I almost want to say only give us the extended because those are the only ones that matter but i understand why it's even cooler that they gave it are giving us both now the interesting thing i think with the what you're saying with the um behind the scenes stuff i think it will be scaled up and i wouldn't be surprised if we get you know where are they now kind of kinds of interviews if we got more behind the stuff uh, behind the scenes stuff like uh some of the stuff with quarter crew that I, I think i talk about their episode their their videos anytime that i'm on the podcast now but they do breakdowns of the shots and like how technologically groundbreaking the, the these movies were um like give us all of it like i want to see how they do things i want to see how they had helms deep and built in three different scales and how they had minas tirith built built in like four or five different scales like it's just there's so much of the background stuff that you can't find unless you get like 
the extended editions that had all all of that extra content on the other on the, on the second disc um i would love and i would i would love that and i would love where are they now interviews and especially since like a lot of these guys like people like elijah wood have done so much since mm-hmm. i mean and really um oh geez ian mckellum has become a household name almost mm-hmm. since since these films i mean it's just, just yeah i think it's for a big generation of film fans there's there's the lord of the rings and the lord of the rings extended cut and the big huge boxes that are just gorgeous to look at but as famous as the movies are i feel like the bonus features are almost as synonymous with the extended cut as this extended cut is just well known because so many film fans grew up watching the special features going wow because at the time there wasn't a whole bunch of like in-depth making of as much and that's still a lost art today but i know so many people that were raised on did you see the lord of the rings making of like that's so cool it's so in-depth yeah. it made me want to be in like it didn't have that effect on me just because i saw lord of the rings later but looking at him now i'm just like i want to do that i want to do learn more about behind the scenes of movie making so those they need to keep those bonus features because for a large portion of people that's very important to them just as important as the movie themselves of how the sausage is made as opposed to just enjoying it. Um, something that I would like for bonus features wise is Peter Jackson has worked with them for this restoration. I would love a bonus feature of how they went about remastering this to 4k. Like uh, it originally was shot in 4k with the cameras that they had. Obviously they couldn't release it in 4k for a lot of years until now. How do you go about that? How did they go about it? particularly of, um, what was like the color correcting, the upscaling? What was that process like? That's not something you could just do overnight and be like, just slip it in Premiere and go, yeah. all right, set to frame size. We're good. That's that you can't do that with upscaling something. And it's not really an upscale because it's just releasing it how it was supposed to be seen natively when they shot it. I would love a behind the scenes of that, of yeah, clips of them working with Peter Jackson of. Is this shading right? Is this correct? Because um, that um, process of remastering old movies to 4K has fascinated me, and I would love to see more of that. Like, I'm not a fan of The Shining, but that remaster looks excellent, and that process seems so interesting to me. Yeah. Like, do you remember? Um, and this is gonna be this is gonna date me hardcore. At least something is. But when the VHS of it's either phantom menace or uh uh clone wars came out there was that little special at before the movie happened oh that was the entire star wars trilogy and phantom was it menace. The, okay cool. it was Cause i like because i had the original trilogy I and i would watch those yeah the gold box they would have the special features yes. before they would have it like 10 15 minutes you'd watch the making of before yep i'd for sure yeah. know that i want i i kind of want something like that like I mean, interviews with people that we've never had of like what what big how big of a deal this was to them. I'm like Ian had never read read, read, uh, read the books before before being in the movie, and so he's he literally read the books as they're filming, so that he could be like, hey, and like there's times there's I think again in this you if you've seen the how how they made Lord of the Rings specials and the extended cut stuff, um, they like Ian is like hey uh can we change this i don't feel like this script line or this motivation is correct for who gandalf is 
pictured in the book or whatever. It was just like I would love to see that kind of – like what you're saying is in like that level of like, hey, this is the process we went through to get to where we are now. Um, just like the Star Wars series had did, has or did – had done. Yeah. Yeah. It's just – I've been in mood to see Lord of the Rings and I, I've, this has been like top priority of remasters that I want next. Now that we've gotten this, please give me a 4k remaster of the Indiana Jones trilogy. We're getting back mm. by the time this podcast episode comes out, we will have back to the future in 4k. That trilogy comes out on Tuesday. Um, that's pretty cool. Indiana Jones is still pretty high up there of yes, please. I would like that very much. Um, yeah. I, I just like me some 4K remasters, especially if it's shot on film, because, you know, film translates better than digital. Um, before we get into our main discussion, Josh, you got a po- you got a sponsor for us this week. Hmm. Let's go with... Um, hmm. Today's episode of Uncharted Media Podcast is brought to you by Physical Media, because uh. at no point... Will you ever not pop in an extended edition of Lord of the Rings? It's just feels better to have the disc in your hands. And because I'm that guy, I can't wait to watch this on my PS5. (laughs) And no, I have not pre-ordered it. It's going to be like jingle all the way trying to get that when it comes out. Weirdly Dude. enough, I've, I've been thinking about getting a Switch. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world's excited for PS5 and Josh is over here. I got a Switch, guys. They have HD. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know what doesn't have HD very often? Found footage movies. Oh, jeez. Made to look cheap because most of the time they are. And I feel like found footage gets a bad rap because a lot of people think that they can do found footage because they're just like, oh, yeah, um, you just need to jump scare people to death looking at you paranormal activity sequels but if done right found footage can be just as scary if not more scary because it has that realism to it there's a couple movies that we'll talk about here that gave me some genuinely good scares because they felt incredibly real and there so i mentioned paranormal activity the sequels but at least the first one because it was such a fresh and original idea, it, I kind of blame it for the revitalization of the found footage movie. But it did it at least decent enough in its first outing that I'll give it a pass. Of you, Another big trend for found footage movies, and one in particular that we'll talk about later, is found. I feel like found footage movies market their movies better than other horror movies. Because the I remember more so than the movie itself when Paranormal Activity was coming out and all the subsequent sequels, you had to demand that your theater showed Paranormal Activity. They didn't have it naturally showing because they didn't have the budget to put it in theaters. But they're just like, if you want to see this scary movie, tell your theater that you want to see it, and then we'll work from there. I'm like, that's brilliant. It makes people immediately interested. It makes people go, yeah, I'll sign up. I promise to see it if it happens to be near me, as opposed to. I don't know if I want to see this or not. It makes the viewer more of the active participant of will they see it or not. Sequels have gone on for too long, and I think the next one is a straight-up reboot at this point because we've had so many, but I'll give a pass at least to the first Paranormal Activity. Um, Josh, 
What are some good found footage movies in your eyes? <laughs> so I'm going to – we're going to talk about one that surprised, I think, everybody because it is related to a, a certain M. Night Shyamalan um, and that I literally remembered – as you were in, as you were doing your intro, <laughs> this wasn't one of the ones on your list. I know, which is crazy. Okay, so fun story for you guys. Um, before the, in the afternoon, I always like uh, before an episode, I always try to sit down and I don't know why I do it ahead of time, but you know, do, you think I'd be because you want to be prepared. I know, right? But when I'm do, I was sitting there trying to do find do a list of found footage and I texted Nathan. I was like, Hey man, how many do you have? Cause I have like three and I'm up to five now because I'm just like the more and more I think about it. I was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So of course, you know, no, that I, I literally, literally remembered it th- like two seconds ago. Um, the movie I'm talking about, of course, is the visit. Um, right. That's correct. Yes. The visit. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I always forget what it's called because I, saw it like once or twice a uh, dude don't even you know me you know how terrible i am with names and, and this is true and but i would like i would think you would remember the good ones at least it's not that happening you, you would think that wouldn't you yeah that that would <laughs> no but the visit is basically a found footage movie about um two kids that go and visit their their grandparents and uh there's something off about their grandparents. Spoiler alert. It's that's not their grandparents. Um, Which is like the laziest Shyamalan twist he's ever done. It is. But it's done. It's for the most part done really well. Yeah. Okay. So the visit, the visit is on my list too. And here's what the visit taught. This feels like a clickbait video. The headline I'm going to say what the visit taught me about M night Shyamalan. Uh, but what the visit taught me about M night Shyamalan is Shyamalan excels when he has two things, no budget and no expectations like split is fantastic. No budget, no expectations. And then what happened? We would find out at the end of split spoiler alert that it's connected to unbreakable. Now everyone's excited for glass. He has expectations again and a bigger budget. And what happened? Mm -hmm glass falls on its face and shatters on the floor um or the sixth sense oh no 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 don't think i'm gonna let you get away with that terrible joke that was bad (laughs) like real bad almost as bad as a movie anyway uh continue it's not my worst though not by a long stretch Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like the sixth sense no budget no expectations um Shyamalan, i think can be good it's just a matter of the budget and expectations let's look at the last airbender his biggest budget to date and it's his worst movie to date after earth seems like it had a pretty decent budget awful but the visit was surprisingly good i saw this in theaters with some of our buddies in college because it was either okay maybe this movie will be surprisingly good or at least with Shyamalan, when he makes bad movies he makes entertainingly bad movies. So either way, we were going to have fun in the theater. Not like Nicolas yeah. Cage left behind fun in the theater. That was a whole other can of worms. Um, but we walked out of this going, that was actually really, really good. And it was bizarre because we could analyze this movie. Of This movie had deeper themes of 
the kids, spoiler alert, in order to beat their grandparents, had to face and overcome their fears by literally, in one person's case, staring them in the face. Um, and just the issues that, that this arises. Um, of all the movies that we'll talk about today, I think this is one is the shot the best. Like, this looks good. Of Also, it, a lot of found footage movies fall in the trap of not explaining why there's a camera there. Um, mm-hmm. This establishes it pretty quickly. One of the kids is a film student, wants to document this for their mom as a present. Um, but it's got really good cinematography, and it looks good for found footage. It also is probably one of the funnier Shyamalan movies. Intentionally funny, not like yes. a, not like a what? No, like Ooh. how many times? <laughs> how many times have you and I quoted? Becca, I've gone blind. <laughs> it was just dude. The Happening is an un- underrated comedy movie. <laughs> unintentional though. But the visit oh, man. was a lot better than it any right to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Still to this day. Um I got one that might be on Josh's list because it kind of is a horror, but it's kind of I think it's got horrific elements, but it's not necessarily a horror movie, but for sure isn't that found footage genre and it introduced the world to a lot of big name actors and one potentially troubling director and that is Chronicle. Yeah, boy. I figured that would be on Josh's list somewhere. No, um, how, 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 how are you going to try to have a conversation about found footage movies and not talk about Chronicle? True. Of the director, Josh Trank, would go on to do fan four stick. I don't give him credit, a ton of credit for Chronicle, because you had Josh Trank, who it seems like he might be a little bit of a handful of a director. Movie written by Max Landis, who I wish we knew at the time, the, the monster that Max Landis was. I don't give credit for that. I give 100% of the credit for Chronicle to the casting director. Holy crap. You just, This movie discovered Michael... I won't say discovered because Michael B. Jordan was on the wire. But Michael B. Jordan and Dane DeHaan. And I feel like there's another name that became big via Chronicle. Um, but Chronicle... I, well, I'll classify this in a horror subgenre. There's some horrific elements. Um... This is found footage done right. Superhero found footage. But in a realistic sense of this is probably what high schoolers would actually do if they got superpowers. And it ain't yeah. pretty. Yeah. It's and I think it it also kind of deals with the it de- very gracefully it deals with the what hap it's not necessarily what happens when teenagers get get superpowers. It's what do teenagers from different walks of life do with superheroes? I mean, you know, to, to, when you have three characters and two of them come from relatively good families and they seem to they seem to be pretty pretty so- solid and have a good understanding of what they're supposed to be doing with their powers, whereas <clears throat> our main antagonist <laughs> decides to be like, this makes me an apex predator. I'm going to murder everyone. Aha. So it's, mm. uh, you knew this was coming, Pete. Oh, wait, wrong goblin. Uh, but I'm pretty sure this is the movie that got him that job. <laughs> for better, for worse. Yeah. What I, mm-hmm. So also, uh, they've said that they want to do a. They almost did a Chronicle sequel, but it would have been like completely new characters, more or less revisiting it. And Josh Trank was like, no, 
Um, cause I'm sure Josh Trank didn't get all pouty and stamp his feet or whatever. Cause it's not like he's known to do that or anything. It's not like he got, no, no. it's not like he got booted off of a star Wars movie or anything. Um, so now for some more movies that we're going to introduce Josh to, I'm going to have one that I'm going to save for last, but there's one that, uh, for those that have Amazon prime video, you guys can check this out. It's not an Amazon original. It's an older movie, but not necessarily too old. Uh, a movie called The Houses October Built. Josh, have you heard of this one? I have. Okay, so I didn't include this on my list because when I watched it, it felt more like a documentary than like a, a horror movie or like a like a movie. You know what I mean? But it is it is staged. It is not a real documentary. Obviously, this. Is, oh, okay. I didn't no, know this, that. This, it is a movie that's meant to look like that. It. This is. For those that might be worried, The Houses October Built and The Houses October Built 2 are movies. They are pre-planned, everything else, because I know there's been some people that have got worried about that. Um, so, The Houses October Built is a kind of mockumentary found footage movie about this group of friends that are going around the nation trying to find extreme haunt locations, like really, really intense haunted houses. And there's, like, one specific, like, grouping. It's, like, the Blue Devil or something like that. I forget what it is, but, like, it's supposed to be, like, the most intense haunted house in the world. And everyone always kind of is like, oh, yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. And so they're trying to kind of know the person and get to that haunted house. Um, and it gets a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. Because um, it senses that found footage style can convince you like it convinced josh like yeah the interviews in the movie i'm sure are actually at real haunts that you can go and experience um but it's still framed in this narrative of a movie like no one was in a harmful situation it um towards the tail end of the movie when it gets more movie like and more suspenseful when things happen to people that that was part of the story um it was shot that way. Um, but yeah, like Josh pointed out, this can easily fool you. And I think that's where some of the best scares come from without dipping too much into it. So Josh, you've, you've seen the movie, correct? Um, I, I think I watched almost half. Did you get to the part with the girl on the bus? I don't think so. I, the, the big, the big thing is, I got to about half when I was like, "Oh, this is just a documentary about about haunted houses." No, and, and then like, and then bam, <laughs> right? So like, now knowing what I know, I'm I'll probably go back and rewatch because it's I just yeah I was like I'm not here I don't care about that documentary about haunted houses. So um yeah, without saying too much, at the end it definitely ramps up and you're just like, "Oh God, this is like a haunt gone wrong." But there's some. There's a point in the movie that, like, genuinely just, like, made me crap my pants of they're parked um, on their RV or whatever that we see pretty early on. They're just like, all right, where's our next stop? In the middle of the night, they're just pulled off to the side of the road. They're just talking, um, sitting around in their RV. And all of a sudden, someone's like, what the F, man? They turn and standing, like, next to the driver's seat is one of the girls from one of the haunts that they were past a couple hours back. And they're all just like, um what are you doing in our RV? Why, why are you here? And it's just like, no one says, she doesn't say anything. She just sits down next to one of them, lets out a blood curdling scream and then gets off the bus. 
And then, yeah, Josh is like, um, I think I turned the movie off too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. And, yeah, without saying too much, the ending, I was just like, um, I, I hope this is fake. I hope this is fake. Which, if a movie gets you to do that, that's a yeah, good horror movie. So, uh, the second one isn't as good, but re- go back and check out The Houses October Built again. I think you may have got the wrong idea of what the movie was and i don't blame yeah you. it's and i think that's the other thing is uh the person who told me about it pitched it to me as a documentary as well it, it so is, i was but it, like, it's i was it like is, i, I mean isn't. i've seen documentary i like them so I, but they you got to be in excuse me in the, in the mood for them so yeah it's it, definitely all that is a list of things i might end up watching this month so i got three more how many more you got three Cool. What you got? Let's talk. Are we, you you want to talk about Behind the Mask? Sure. It's not on my list, but go for it. Which is funny that I introduced you to this movie and then you were like... No, you hey, didn't. Jo- I watched it yeah. before you did. I watched it on Shudder. Yeah, because I was like, have you ever seen Behind the Mask? No, that's been on my wa- horror watch list forever. That? I had already seen it when you told me to watch it. I told I was the one that told you that it was on Shudder. Huh. All right. <laughs> Josh learned some hey guys, stuff. I've been dropped in my head a few times. Let's just. Uh, Thankfully, that hasn't been just... in a while, though. Yeah, true. Anyway, um, so Behind the Mask is a movie about a. What would you call them? A new. They're not necessarily a news team. I. It's like a documentary team. Yeah, something almost. along those lines. Yeah, some along that lines where uh, they're following a guy who they think is claiming to be a serial killer. And so they're, they're kind of joking about it. And they're like, oh, he's not really – this isn't really a thing for the whole movie. And it turns out to be um, much realer than they uh, anticipated. So not to belittle the movie, it's a good movie. But did the killer remind you a little bit of Discount Jim Carrey? Not until you said something. <laughs> but I like as he's about to kill somebody. Oh, righty then. Either. I would don't. I would say that doesn't play against him because, no. like you know, traditionally, killers are very charismatic. They're, he is. they're people that are, they get people to their cause mm-hmm. or into their cars. Um, but yeah. So and and I think it plays to the fact that it does make. Even to a point, the person watching the movie, you're not sure if what he's doing is actually – if he's really just a crazy person or if he's an actual serial killer until it's made very clear. <laughs> but then the way that he portrays it, they almost like play him as the protagonist for a good chunk of the movie before you realize, oh, there is actually something wrong with this dude because like he's got friends that are actual like lifelong serial killers that are just like you gotta find your Laurie strode you gotta find your one person and you can't kill that one person and then you've got your like your dr loomis which is like um your ahab i think is what they call him of just like mm-hmm. you need your crazy scientist to follow you everywhere like they're so excited to follow in the serial killer tropes it almost like subverts the genre on its head um but it feels so real because of the way it's shot just but also, yeah. it's one of the ones that explains why the camera is there better than a lot of other movies of, hey, we're filming this as an actual documentary about this dude, as opposed to, I just have my camera, just because. 
Yeah, like, it's not like paranormal activity where they're like, I decided to start filming things because... Well, at least the first one, it's justified because it's home security yeah. system. Okay, but, fair enough, fair enough. Well, one that is iconic in the found footage genre, but it to me it still kind of has a hard time justifying why there's cameras, is Blair Witch, the original Blair Witch Project. Oh, um, okay, interesting. I know interesting. you'll talk about the other. I know you'll talk about the new one. I'll talk about yes. the original. Um, we talked about with Paranormal Activity the marketing playing a really big key of why that movie is successful. Repeat that, but times ten for um the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project could not work today with its marketing campaign because the Blair Witch Project marketed the original movie as genuine this actually happened the actors did not appear on late night talk shows tv they didn't appear in a public eye it's almost like they hid their actors trying to make you think that they actually did disappear in the woods um which if you just look something up today you could see that that's fake but it was i think 99 the internet really wasn't as big as it is now um the movie, to me, doesn't hold up particularly well, and it's been spoofed to death over time, but it's the originality and the cleverness of you don't have to have a big budget, and I guess it's it's like a horror movie sequel. You like it, but at the same time, you blame it for the slew of inferior copycat people that would follow in its footsteps. Like, Blair Witch, I think, had a budget of like $300,000, if that... And made a yeah. whole bunch of money. It was the highest grossing independent movie of all time until something surpassed it. I forget what it was. Fun fact, Josh. You know, at one point, before Blair Witch broke its record, do you know what one of the all-time highest independent movies was? No, what? 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, hey. <laughs> it's an indie movie, technically. And then I think that record got broken by My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And then that got broken by uh, Blair Witch, I believe. I might have okay. my years wrong, but... It's very interesting to me that we both have a Blair Witch on our list, but neither is the same Blair Witch. Yeah, um, yeah Josh has Book of Shadows. <laughs> no. No. No, Which, actually, that's not even a found footage movie. That's how bad that sequel is. It's not. It's so bad. I have 2016's Blair Witch. Was it 2016? Wow, it feels yeah, like just so long ago. Yeah, no, it's four. I mean, but that's almost only four years ago. What are you talking about? But it's to me. So I had not seen the OG, the first one, first Blair Witch, until the night before i was supposed to go see this one so i saw i saw the og one first and that like one uh, one night and then the following night went and saw the new one um and i really like the new one i, I think it does i think part primarily might be because of the production value is a little higher on there um for obvious reasons um but i think the characters are are a little bit more fleshed out and more interesting. Um, I think it's a little less kind of like, Ooh, let's go in the woods and find something. It's, Hey man, we've heard rumors of, of other people that have died. Let's, let's go look and, and kind of like see if, you know, I mean, it's the same premise, but I particularly love the build to the house at the end. I think 
the, there's it was genuine where it was I think it was the, the first um, horror movie I had watched up to that point a little bit where <clears throat> where it was obvious that stuff was going on in the background mm. and that you you could catch it if you were looking for it. I think I saw it to like two or three times in the theaters just so I could be like, okay, cool. That's all right. She's there. That's okay. That's okay. All right, cool, cool. Just kind of seeing all the hints. I think this, the 2016 Blair Witch is much more a movie that you can break down a little bit more. Whereas the OG one is it's, it's an indie film and there's not, I'm not, that's not discounting it. That's not saying I'm not trying to say anything like it's not good. I just think, the 2016 one is one that I prefer for other reasons. Uh, something I think is super cool with the Blair Witch franchise, we can call it franchise at this point, is whenever there's something new in a franchise, it surprises people because Blair Witch is something you can do in secret. I remember um, when the trailer for the 2016 Blair Witch came out, no one knew we were getting a new Blair Witch. And then yeah. all of a sudden, holy crap, that's a trailer for the new Blair Witch. But I specifically remember when the Blair Witch game came out, everyone's like, this game looks creepy and then they zoom out and then the witch's symbol is made into the trees below and you're like this is a blair witch game that just took things from interesting to oh i need to play this of i always liked and appreciated that blair witch is able to keep things really under wraps um and super secretive i'm like that's that's pretty cool it's so rare to see genuine surprises nowadays and blair witch has done it a few times so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, what else you got? Um, I think this is my last one. Cool. I've got hey. two more. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I would be amiss if I didn't talk about this. At least to me, it was a surprise. Um, about as a, as above, so below. Still in my Netflix queue. I'm still dude. Have you not? Like, is it still in your queue because you haven't seen it? Yeah, or it's, I haven't seen it so often. I haven't seen it yet. Bro. Um, so I don't, hmm. I know most of the movie already. Basically you have, um, a crew of archeologists, I suppose, who are going down into the catacombs of France in order to, uh, document and kind of see how far back they can get. Cause there's only so far into it that we've explored. And it's a lot like, um, Oh geez, what is that movie where that crew of girls go deep into a cave and they the descent? Descent. It's like that where they like all of a sudden they get to a certain point and they're like, oh, okay, cool, here we're going past the point of no return and whatever, and then all like weird stuff starts happening, like real weird, and it's really cool. And I love you know me, Josh. Josh loves some good symbolism. Josh loves some good storytelling and. This movie does does it very very well. It's the best Dante's Inferno movie since 1408. Um, yeah, which yeah. yeah, 1408 counts as a Dante's Inferno movie. Um, yes, it does. So I got two more. Um, I don't know if Josh has seen this one or not, but it is on Netflix, I believe. It's like one of the only Netflix name mainstays of every time I check Netflix, it's still there. A movie called Creep, which is a very different type of found footage of it doesn't go for the big scares all the time but more very slow burn and very psychological horror so creep is basically about this pretty wealthy guy who um the story that he's telling is he thinks he's dying and so he wants he hires a 
um, videographer to come and film him for to do a video for his unborn son that he's never going to be able to meet. So he's just like, I want to have a video person follow me around so I can do videos that I can give to my son, teach him important life lessons like tying his shoes, fixing cars and whatnot. So it starts innocent and things start to get really, really weird. And you're going like the visit going, I don't think this person is telling the whole story here or they could just be out and out lying because the camera guy's just like yeah i took the gig because i'm a videographer and we know videographers you know get so many jobs on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. those contract people pay your video people their proper wages people um so it's just like yeah this job seems super weird but i was desperate for the money so i took it and things just get progressively weirder and more intimate like the dude has like less and less barriers with the other guy of just like a you're my video guy you're gonna be everywhere with me and it's just like it gets under your skin by that time you get to the end of it you're just like oh okay that's a twist i ah, no thank you no thank you not like not like the evil dead with the saw or anything but like it it's closer to if Good night, mommy was found footage. Which that's right up Josh's alley right there. But I've got one that like it's in the voodoo, Josh. Your homework, should you choose to accept it, is watch this movie by the end of the week because it's okay. so good. It's in the voodoo because I went out of my way to make sure I bought it after I saw it on Shutter. It's a movie called Hell House LLC. It, Okay. It's a whole trilogy, but I just bought the first one. The The other ones of the trilogy are, are fine, but I'll explain why they're not as good in, in a little bit. Um, but Hell House LLC follows this group of friends that uh, used to run a haunted attraction in New York. And so they moved to a smaller town outside of the city in a small suburb in a place called the Abaddon Hotel, which has been an abandoned hotel for a while. And they're just like, we're going to turn this creepy abandoned hotel into a haunt for the year. And things start going bad. So they go down to the basement. There's three life-size clowns already there for some reason. Um, And they, like, turn their backs. They look at the clowns. And then all of a sudden, the clowns' heads are now looking at them. Um, It is also explained well why there's a camera of, hey, we're doing a haunted attraction. We kind of need this for security reasons of... If anything goes wrong, we need footage. Um, it's another slow burn, but you get so acclimated with where the hotel is. It's like you're there. Um, but also it gets really, really real. Like this feels like an actual place that you can be. Um, it's very grounded in reality. And there's some scares that happen in it that I genuinely jumped and was like, oh God. Um, and normally like found footage has this like side effect of making you sick because you feel like you're running and it feels chaotic well when it is there's times that it does get chaotic but it works in the film's favor because what's happening on screen is chaotic of people trying to get out of the house in a hurry and in a group you're obviously going to feel that panic um i talked about how real and grounded it was and that's kind of an element that kind of lessens as the movies go on um there's no special effects in the first one that changes in, I think, either the second or the third one, and it there's, like, a weird portal effect that is, like, Avengers Endgame, except 
it would be like that was in Blair Witch. It just doesn't fit. It looks kind of weird. Without saying too much, there's talk that in town that the basement of the hotel that they live in, the reason why it's called the Abaddon Hotel is Abaddon is a demon who is in control of the gateway to hell. So they're like, that sounds safe. That's fine. Um, And it's one of the best found footage movies I've ever seen of something will be there and then it won't be. Um, That's all I'm really going to say. And even I would encourage you to see the whole trilogy because it builds upon its lore like the uh, like the Purge movies. They're not as good as the first one. The first one's still the best, but they add more and more interesting layers to the Abaddon Hotel, why it is the way it is, its history. Like, there is a history to it. Um, but with some really good, genuine scares. But also, um, when characters talk, they feel like people. Like, they actually talk like normal human beings, which is so rare in movies, especially low-budget found footage movies. But Hell House LLC is supremely underrated. Some surprisingly decent kills really good twists um it's framed as both a movie but also a documentary of so you got the people that are setting up the haunt and then it's interesting of it's set in the narrative of a documentary of trying to figure out what happened that night so like Hmm. you'll have people who are just like well after all my research i don't know why that person did what they did but what they did was stupid and we like they kind of lay the groundwork before stuff really hits the fan of oh stuff is going to hit the fan so they build up the fear already within you before you even get to the scary stuff and it's <laughs> so well well done so if you're looking for something to watch this weekend it is in the voodoo hell house llc it's so good all right man i think i'll check it out i mean i got to finish bly first but it's on the list. I will say, uh, you probably, if any of you out there are afraid of clowns, don't watch Hell House <laughs> LLC. Yeah. All right. Well, still gonna watch, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you guys think? What are some of your all-time favorite found footage movies? Let us know in the comments below. It was I came from you guys, and as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to this on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Untraded Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals. <laughs>